Welcome to Flute Space, a platform created to show interesting stories related to life as a flutist and discovering inspiring content in form of a podcast. You can catch up with us on our Instagram, at the Flute Space, and you can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. All these links can be found in our link tree in the description. And if you want to support us, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash the Flute Space, or you can join us on Patreon. Probably you always thought that there is not a lot of repertoire for piccolo and that they just play high notes. But that's not the reality and today with Peter Verhoeven you will discover how interesting is the piccolo world. Welcome to Flute Space. We're so excited to have you here because you're a very busy person. So this is an honor. Yes, thank you for taking oh, your time. Very happy to be here and sorry that I kept you waiting so long. <laughs> very busy. Um, well, we have multiple questions for you. Um, because you're teaching a lot, you're playing in orchestra, you have your own book project, you're recording CDs. And we wanted to start with um, teaching. You established the first Piccolo Master worldwide, and that's a significant achievement. And we wanted to ask what motivated this and how has it impacted the next generation of Piccolo players? Okay, well, maybe for throwing this from the start, the thing is when, when I did my Piccolo audition at the Antwerp Symphony Orchestra, I never had had Piccolo lessons before. Um, and um, But I had had a lot of flute lessons and I also had some experience working together with my, uh, since then, uh, very good colleague Aldo Barton. Um, I was already at the Conservatory of Antwerp as a teacher of uh, flute pedagogy. Um, and um, already at that time, most universities and conservatories around the world started seeing the importance of having a specific piccolo teacher. But that was very far away from the piccolo master program we have now in Antwerp. It was just a teacher that came to give a couple of lessons to the students, just to make sure that they would have the advice from somebody that is really playing the piccolo actively. Um, so. Um, after that, when I got appointed at uh, uh, the Antwerp Symphony Orchestra, Aldo asked me if I could teach those extra piccolo lessons for the for the students in Antwerp, and it was really fun. Um, I think Aldo already had developed a fantastic piccolo uh, flute faculty at, at the concert in Antwerp, and uh, it was really fun to, to teach those people uh, the piccolo. But then Aldo suggested maybe we should do something more, uh, because when people are graduating uh, at, at the school, when they get their masters, uh, still they are not totally ready for, for the orchestra audition, and it would be fun if they could stay a bit longer. And, and and specialize in, in, in piccolo playing. Um, so actually it was his idea, but I was very enthusiastic of it. And at, at, at first, in, in, in the first year, already we attracted not only one graduated master student of the Conservatory of Antwerp, but also a student that came from, a, from, a, from an other school. And um, the fun fact about this is that Already from the start, from the very first piccolo master I, I could teach, uh, that was my first student, Kudrun Burel, and she won the piccolo position at, uh, the at an orchestra in, in, in Holland. Um, so um, at Helders Orchestra. 
Um, so immediately the formula seemed proved to be successful. And where it started with a small experiment with a couple of students now, this year already we, we, we have in the Piccolo Masters in Antwerp 12 students, which is of course a very big success and, and a very fun, real fun thing to do. Yeah. And how different, I mean, what would you say were the most significant changes from those early stages um, of the Piccolo class until now? Well, yeah, we were used to, to work uh, with, with the students of the conservatory, like I think in any conservatory around the world where they give piccolo lessons, like doing the basics, like studying the Vivaldi Concerto and the Mozart Rondo, and then a couple of, of excerpts. Um, but the um, idea behind the piccolo master is, well, now we're going to just try to study the piccolo with the same kind uh, of ambition as we have when, when we study the flute. That means that you also will have to play etudes specifically on on the piccolo. That you also will have to present a concerto apart from the Vivaldi, but the real contemporary concerto, like you could do when you're ma you do your doing your masters on flute. That we will do try to find sonatas, which is was of course not so so easy to do. So um, that already was a sign that we had to take some extra steps. Um, one of the steps was that I really very actively started asking composers to write p pieces that would be suitable for this program. Um, and my first commissioned pieces uh, for the piccolo had that, uh, I gave that specific task to the composers, like tr try to write something that is really like what can be called a piccolo sonata, not a bird piece, not a polka, not mm -hmm. a folkloristic piece, but a real sonata. That's when uh, Piet Swartz wrote uh, Le Tombeau de Ravel, which is a very serious piece, like a real sonata for, for, for the instrument. And um, working with all those aspects together and uh, then recording my first recital CDs, which was actually also something that, that started in the country of Antwerp, because um, when, when I started giving the piccolo lessons in Antwerp, um, Stefan the shepherd was assigned as, as the class uh, p pianist, and um, we gave this kind of recital together, and it was uh, a click immediately. And uh, it was this with Stefan that I, I could record these, these sonatas, and that was also like a very important element in the circle of things that led to the success of the piccolo master program. And um, well, maybe there's a very self-explanatory answer, but uh, why a piccolo master and not a piccolo bachelor? Because in bachelor, normally piccolo is played as a second instrument. If uh, yeah, you're saying yes. Good. Well, it, it was the first step, and you could say like maybe developing a piccolo bachelor, bachelor would be the second step, but I don't think so. And the, the reality is that you can educate people to be able to play a piccolo recital and that you can ec educate them to hopefully do well at, at uh, a piccolo audition in an orchestra. But um, you can <coughs> hardly make a living uh, as a piccolo specialist with a bit of affinity on the flute. Mm -hmm. I think every piccolo uh, is uh, like in the professional scene should be should have excellent flute skills um, and although like students now tend to study for a longer time than when I was at the conservatory 
I think we cannot expand the the, the music studies for for fifteen or twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would not be such such a good such a good plan. Um, well, you can of course, but then the normal structure with postgraduates and research uh, stuff, and maybe even having a doctorate. Yeah, uh, as, as <laughs> being there, a forever there, student. There, there, there <laughs> are there are some plans to do that. But it, it doesn't go together with the bachelor because I think the general skills that you learn during the bachelor program, um, well, in, when you when you study at at the Antwerp Conservatory and you're in the bachelor, you will start having some some piccolo lessons too. Maybe not in the first year, not even in the, in the second. But before you get your bachelor, bachelor you, um, the conservatory makes sure you have some some ele elementary piccolo lessons. So mm -hmm. you you have that that that's in in the in the package. And they're great elementary lessons. They're with Anke Lauers, who is your uh, assistant professor. Yes. So Anke was was not the first student at the master program. Which I think she was the, the third student. She was one of the first ones. Well, but still quite and, in the and, beginning. And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, the big successes of the of the program at, in the early stage were, of course, some of my students winning orchestra audition. But then um, we 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 tried to find out if there were any piccolo competitions, and we found out that there was actually at that time only one, but the big one at the National Food Association uh, convention. There is every two years a, a big piccolo, important piccolo competition, and. Um, yeah, when when Anke just finished her masters, um, she prepared for that competition and she got the, f the first prize at that competition, which was also like a very important sign that it makes a difference uh, for flute players to really take the studies seriously and and study it intensively and have the lessons. It it's it's a path to success, I think. And you also worked closely together with Anke Lauers for your book, Peter's Piccolo World. Yes. Um, and we wanted to ask, how was the process of writing it? It was a very long and painful process. <laughs> About the painful, maybe I'm exaggerating <laughs> it a bit. Um, but making making a book is is already in my mind since a long time. And actually, I, I had ambition of making several books. Um, like when I was giving the flute pedagogy courses, I thought, well, there's still some some book that should be written. But then, of course, if if you go to the music shop, you will see so many books on flute playing, so many of them, and all are very good in some things, and that's good in, in, in others. So, mm, conclusion, bottom line is, I think that maybe every flute uh, teacher should take the best elements of, the, of these books and then make his own method. Um, so I didn't feel the need to publish something specifically for flute, but for piccolo I did because if you go to the to that same shop and you're going to to to, to find the books on on piccolo pedagogy, you will hardly find anything. Um, well, you will find uh, Jean-Louis Bomadier's book, which is quite quite okay, and and there's a lot of good ideas in that. Then you will find the Nicola Mazzanti uh, method which is an excellent uh, collection of exercises, a very extensive work. Um, and then uh, you also have a, a British uh, publication. Um, Andrew Lane uh, wrote a book um, on, on, on piccolo playing, which is um, quite theoretical, but has also really nice, nice ideas. But 
there I really had the feeling that I could contribute to the flute and piccolo com community, like putting all my ideas together in a book. Um, only I find out that, um, one, there was a big lack of time to do it. Um, second, um, I found it important um, to reflect on the things I wrote, because whenever you write something, you realize that some other teachers might think or write completely the opposite. And um, I don't want to spread controversy in the mm. flute and piccolo world. There is already enough of them. Uh, I just want, want to give, I wanted to give some um, yeah, guidelines for students, like how to approach um, the switch between flute and piccolo, for instance. I have to say that that um, one very important step in, in developing the book was also uh, the moment I, I um, got a job in another school. I, I was appointed as the pickle teacher of the uh, Kunstuniversität in Graz. Um, was very important. Why? Um, because both schools are high-level schools, <coughs> but. The kind of students that you get there are from other countries and from other flute professors and they, they approach the piccolo playing from another angle and um, actually from teaching over there I already learned, learned a lot of information. We, we got um, a lot of insights there. Um, but then when, when I came from the idea of making uh, the, the book to really just start doing that, uh, <coughs> I was very lucky that I could, I could talk uh, about this a lot with my assistant at the conservatory, with, with Anke, and also uh, with um, like, um, a graduated student uh, from, from, from the program, also Sarah Miller, who um, during her master's also won the position of second flute with piccolo at the Brussels Philharmonic Orchestra. She was our first guest, by the way. And, um, <laughs> and uh, um, talking with both former students, uh, proud piccolo masters as I call them, um, gave me a lot of inspiration and also the courage to start working on the book. Um, on top of it, I was very lucky to, to, to have my daughter Anne Sophie just at the moment in her career when she is when she went more in, in uh, not to specialization specializing in harp playing but more into graphic design and illustration and I found out that she was actually the, the perfect person to, 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 to make the drawings for this book because we, we really wanted to, to add a, lo a lot of very um, specific gra graphic and illustration kind of, 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 of elements in, in the book, um, which is normally a very difficult process uh, for a writer of a book to find an illustrator that really talks the same language in, in ideas about how, how to do it, and that was also a very important aspect of the process. It's, um, it took way more time than I, would, I had thought it, it would take, um, not because my co-writers were lazy or anything, but whenever we started writing things, we thought like, hey, hmm, is this really what we want to put there? And a lot of things were, were questioned all the time, which is good. But at the, at a certain moment, uh, I thought like, now I've had it. Now we're just going to, to go with it. And then we printed the book um, 
first we printed 50 copies and then we printed 200 and now I think we already have 1000 and they are practically all sold so actually apparently it's 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 a big success and I'm very happy with it well, the book is is great um, we, we know it we will <laughs> we link the well the link to order to it. your website and to yes. order it of course we will share in it in the description of the episode yes um, and do you maybe plan also a second book already well, the second book should be there because uh, we, we we split it up in in some elements, um, um, articulation, sound product production, intonation, vibrato expression, and then when we put all these elements together, um, Sarah, who was he took like a quite important role in in just keeping the overview of the publication. She came to me and she said, "Yeah, well, the book is going to be too extensive. It's going to be too much." And then we decided to already conceive the publication in two volumes. Um, so I think the first draft of the second book is, is almost ready now. Then we will have to start reading uh, mm -hmm. again. Um, and then we will ha still have to, to record the videos um, because the, the book work also works with some QR codes that are linked to videos. We will have to record the videos. and then I had hoped for Christmas, but I think um, it's, it's going to be before summer, next summer, the second volume should be ready. That's okay. super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, what gives you motivation and inspiration to teach? Because you have so many students at KCA, Graz, Yes, I have, I have too many students. <laughs> uh, it, it, it became somehow some kind of an addiction which I have to watch out for, um, um, because, uh, but, but also, yeah, I'm, it's it's quite a privilege, I think, uh, because if, if you think uh, uh, the role I have now, I'm the lucky guy, right? When people start doing the piccolo masters, they already got a master very often from brilliant teachers. I, I get students from Aldo, I get students from other other programs in, in Europe, and and they already got their, their their masters, which 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 means that they already have a lot a lot of skills. Um, at the other hand, I told you also, I have people coming from from very different different schools too, so they are very very inspiring actually. Um, I think also um, when you have to to do the job in the orchestra or when you have game the privilege of doing the, the job in, in the orchestra um, it's <coughs> it's very important to reflect on, on, on the piccolo playing and when I would be practicing the piccolo for myself for four hours a day I think I would be I would get stuck in into my own problematics and even not seeing the solutions for it anymore mm -hmm. um, but when you can work on the same subject and see the same orchestra excerpts that you have to play in the orchestra. You uh, you have to help help people preparing for it, and you learn a lot for it for yourself too. That's that's one one aspect. At at the other hand, I think uh, seeing uh, young um, flute students like at the moment where they have to, will have in their career to take like the final decisions, like this is what I'm going to go for. Um, 
it gets more from it 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 changes from from teaching into coaching and i think coaching is maybe even more fun than teaching um it's about um um finding your priorities what you're going to do the best how you're going to work how you're going to 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 plan um it's about um finding the courage to do the, these auditions and tell people that it really can make the difference if you prepare well for it, with it which is something some something that that people at age 24 26 28 seem to to, to forget um, i feel there is unnecessary negativity in um, the world as as a whole but specifically in 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 culture and in in, in um, music uh, education and i'm really having a lot of fun helping students like finding the, their their way into that kind of situations so it's an addiction but very often i i i find that when i have a five hour rehearsal uh, at the orchestra first three hours i'm totally excited and the last two hours i'm getting a bit tired i think that happens to everybody I arrive at the concert if I'm really tired, but working at this level actually gives me a positive energy back. And sometimes I'm more awake after. at eight o'clock in the <laughs> evening after after the teaching uh, That's really than good. before before I enter. And um, yeah, it's well, like I, I have been <laughs> I have been I have been very lucky in life. I I I, I got like plenty of, of opportunities to do things and I, I got also some choice to do other things things in life but but I really find out that that is the um, um, the kind of job that that gives me the most positive energy well we were talking already a bit now you spoke a bit about it about auditioning which is a big topic I think for all young musicians um, and we wanted to ask, well, because you have a lot of students currently auditioning um, for orchestras, and did you notice any change um, between the system now and the system back then when you were auditioning? Well, uh, I think it became more difficult because of the globalization, right? When, when I uh, was the age of my students, um, I was aware of, um, about the auditions in my country and maybe in Holland and maybe in this in the north of France. I, I didn't know about all the uh, auditions. Muvac didn't exist at, at that time, and sometimes we heard about something. Uh, I remember that for me it was quite spectacular to to read about the Chicago Symphony Orchestra audition, but it was some kind of an exception that some orchestras really opened up worldwide, and 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 you would know about it and go there. Now everybody travels uh, the globe to the audition, and 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 I think last week there was an audition at the Paris Opera. I think 95 people showed up there, um, and I think from those 1995, they're all great people, great players. Um, so the level went up. I think um, the piccolo level went up a lot too, because because. There's more piccolo programs now around the globe, and uh, there's more teachers that you can go to. People sometimes come to see me from far away just to have an intensive uh, piccolo week and and to specialize in, in the instrument, and they take that what they learn 
also to, to their their audition um, so that's maybe the bad news the level went up so you will have to work very very hard um, but at the other hand the idea that you had to be already like a part of the community to have the chance to get the job which was I think much more something that was in the air like 30 years ago um, so when when you that means when you would have been the student of of the concertry of of one 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 town the best student there that you probably would have the first chance to get in that orchestra too that aspect went away um, that's I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing actually um, there's a lot of things you should keep in, in consideration because now you have you have very often like young people just traveling to another county winning winning an audition there and 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 starting the job there not necessarily being happy in another environment or, or, or country and then you have this kind of consideration making your dreams happening doing what you really want to do but like maybe losing the contact with your family or your friend that's that's a, 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 a other aspect of, of the globalization um, in the audition process itself well um, the repertoire became a bit more clear um, sometimes I, I, I get programs or auditions that make me like hey what is this <laughs> um, like let, uh, I, like um, I would say like maybe less connected orchestras where they just go ask the piccolo player to say like well, what should be asked and then you get this list of of pieces that 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 piccolo player has been playing the last two years and you <laughs> found difficult but mostly now when you do audition you know that you will have or the Vivaldi or the Rondo Mozart or maybe some Poulenc and 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 that's going to to be it basically as, as, as the concertos and then then in in the orchestra excerpts you probably will have the Beethoven and the, the Rossini the Semiramis um, it got a bit more precise and um, yeah then in in the way of evaluating of course there's there's a very very important thing that started with the COVID uh, years and that is the importance of, of the video recordings uh, that is very new and um, I think also there it makes a difference if you have the skills to make good recordings and you have you have also people around you that that can help help you with it what, what would you say would be would you have to be careful about to make a good audition tape well honestly I, I think the average orchestra musician cannot make the difference between a reverberating recording and a not reverberating uh, recording and will be intuition always choose for a recording that has a bit more pleasant reverb uh, which gives the impression that the piccolo player doesn't have so many problems with things that you would hear if you would make a dry recording uh, that uh, goes to the point that some of the major orchestras explicitly ask the people who send uh, a tape um, they, they ask them to not do the two reverberant <laughs> recordings because if they're too reverberant yeah you you can really not not hear the characteristics of the player anymore so that balance is, is a very very uh, important important one do you call it dry or reverberant 
do you record it analytic with the microphone very close or do you take more distance so you cannot hear the airy aspects of the sound of a pickle which is maybe one of the main things because I think how you however you which way you turn in um, people um, deciding if you go to next round it's going to start with the sound you make um, very often I have the impression that people uh, judging uh, videos are mistaken in their decisions. Um, I, I was a jury at some auditions where we had to, to sit together and listen with our orchestra jury here in Antwerp Symphony Orchestra and I was seeing the reactions with people and I think the quality of recording made a huge difference there. And when you are in that situation of having to judge auditions or video recordings, what do you pay attention to? Well, the thing is, of course, I, I, I recorded over 20 CDs with the piccolo as, a, as an important instrument in those CDs. Um, I, I'm also like, yeah, we didn't have any choice. Like when COVID happened, we started to, to, to work with videos. And now I have a YouTube channel with a lot of, of, of pieces on uh, video too. Um, and, and going from, from that experience, I think I'm like more listening to the essence of the playing and less of the, less to the recording uh, quality when, when I listen to tapes. When, when I hear that somebody just recorded with the Zoom or somebody went to a studio, I, I try to to stay with the essence like what do you hear what do you really hear what can you really compare in this in this in this uh, recordings um, yeah very often now lately people send me videos when they are testing instruments too and then I have to tell them like yeah okay but did you record this in a reverberant room or was it in a dry room because in a reverberant room every piccolo will sound like a great and expensive instrument in a dry room, you you can much better judge mm -hmm. um, the, the quality of the instrument. Yeah. Same goes for the quality mm -hmm. of, of the of the performance and the technique that the that that the player is is, is using. And talking about choosing piccolos, mm -hmm. um, what characteristics or qualities do you prioritize, or what you should you pay attention to when you choose a new piccolo? When you're trying mm. one, I, I think um, I think the first contact with the piccolo is is very important. If if you have this this um, affinity with an instrument and you fall in love with an instrument, it's the first thing. And then after it, you have to to watch out because a lot of the of the piccolos you you could fall in love with have deficiencies that can seriously bring you in trouble. Uh, when when you have to go in, to play in the orchestra, um, when uh, some some of the of the main topics there when when choosing a piccolo are the octaves, um, some very beautifully sounding piccolos have very out of tune uh, octaves. So you you really have to check them thoroughly also with your tuning machine before you choose a piccolo. And then you have some specific things like the ability to produce the high B. Uh, which I found is still something that a lot of piccolo builders uh, didn't manage to 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 resolve that 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 um, that problem. 
Um, and if if you have a fantastic piccolo but it cannot make that known sound, then you shouldn't buy it, unfortunately. Um, I have to say that ability uh, can change if, if, if you have a look at the position of the, of the tuning uh, cork. I feel that very often piccolos are sold for beautiful sounding quality by putting a specific position of the cork, which is not the best one to oh. have the homogeneous intonation even and to have the speaking high note. And then and I, I, I think when you, when you choose a piccolo, you have to divide it to, 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 to two aspects. That's the, the color and the articulation. Um, very often piccolos with very beautiful colors have difficult articulation and also the other way around. Um, that goes very often together with, with the, the difference between a wave and a non-wave head joint of, of a piccolo which is also like an ongoing discussion uh, with piccolo players at high level in, in the piccolo community because, well, some, some professional piccolo players say like the wave is not for professionals, it's just an easy, easy way to play the piccolo well. But so many people, professionals, play on wave now. I think even in Europe more people play on a wave than, 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 than uh, non-wave. Um, but the problem is, of course, if for yourself you have you have played on a non-wave piccolo for, for five years, like a, a cheap piccolo, and, and you want you want to buy a professional instrument, you will feel very 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 uncomfortable on to make to make that switch, um, and that go also goes to to the professional people that might go there to to help you. That's, at the other hand, something I'm always to people when you want to buy a piccolo just take a professional player with you because otherwise you will fall in love with the beautiful <laughs> color of the wood or maybe the gold keys or, 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 or anything and you will buy that piccolo and come home and, and, and realize that you you bought something that is really not efficient for the work you have to do I have to say that when I go to, to a flute shop and I play on ten flutes there is eight flutes that are really okay and when i go to to, to test the piccolos I, I i only see out of 10 piccolos maybe two piccolos that are okay so that's that's also because even flute repair people when they when they they check on a flute they can get it to a certain certain level and it's going to be okay but the miniature work you have to do up a piccolo is is very often not not done to perfection and then maybe there will be a piccolo that's fantastic, but not perfectly regulated. Mm -hmm. That could be much better than, than the one that is perfectly regulated, but for the rest doesn't have any colors or, or uh, intonation qualities to, to prove. And does that have, um, can you improve that by going to the right person for repair and that they regulate it? Well, yeah, we have an enormous problem with, with flute uh, repair, I found, I find. Um, only a few people really can can work on a piccolo to to perfection. Uh, like a lot of uh, prof of professional flute players will say, like, yeah, I prefer not to play on the piccolo because it's not my thing. I also knew some some repairmen that that specifically say, like, yeah, I want to to check on your flute with the piccolo. I will stay away from it. So I I can count the good repairman in Europe for piccolos on the five fingers of, of my hand which 
leads to the fact that very often you have to, to send your piccolo somewhere, which is a big problem too because the delivery uh, companies. Um, I had very, very bad experiences once, once my beautiful piccolo was just delivered in, in the garden. <laughs> and oh while, it was, while it was snow and ice, can you, can you, can you <laughs> That's believe insane. it? So you have, to, you have to always make a compromise, like what I'm going to do. If it's a small repair, I would say go to somebody close, but stay there while the repair is done. Mm -hmm. And if, it's, if, it's more, more, if there's something more, more important mm -hmm. to do, I, I prefer to, to uh, Anton Brown to have a look at my Brown Piccolo and, and, and Jim Keefe and Janet from Keefe to have a look at my Keefe Piccolo and, and Lillian Burkhardt from the Burkhardt Company to have a look at my Burkhardt Piccolo. And yeah, straight to Bulgaroni, the source. Bulgaroni, uh, the, the people in Italy, uh, just to have uh, to look at it. And um, that is possible. I have the greatest respect to the people who make the Piccolos, actually. I've, I, I, I was very lucky to be able to visit all those companies. I, I have seen these, these people. And it is miniature work. Uh, piccolo companies are small companies too. <laughs> they, they, they mostly don't have, they have not more than 10 people working in the same factory, like, like, wow. like, uh, like uh, working on, on those instruments. That's, that's, that's for good reasons. Um, and like, like um, the orchestras, they try to find the best possible people to play the piccolo in, in the orchestra, in, in, the, in the companies that make the instruments. There's also like, they are looking for the best possible people that can do this precision work. Um, it's a kind of a nerve-wracking job to make a piccolo, because then you put that beautiful mechanism on, on that wooden tube, and then suddenly you see that, that there's like a crack in that, in that wood, and then you have to start again, all, over. all over again. One of my first um, experiences um, with visiting a company was, was more than 20 years ago. I went to visit the Haynes company and there was this big container and I'd, I'd asked people like, what is there? Well, that's, that's are the tubes that we couldn't use anymore. It was like oh. a full, full container of like would-be piccolos yeah. that never will be a piccolo. Because oh, they crack. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that is, is of course an extra element that you, that well, there's some wooden flutes now too on the, on, on the market that is specific for, for piccolo repairs. You have to work with the wood. And uh, when you have a new piccolo, maybe the wood will, will just get a bit, a, bit, a bit bigger or smaller and the mechanism will have problems to adapt to, to that. So, so being a piccolo repair it's person, it's an open market. You need a steady well, kind of I, I actually think I actually <laughs> think it, it would be best if, 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 if some people that have an affinity on doing that and that can play the instruments of course, because you have to understand yes. the, the <laughs> instruments. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't imagine someone yeah. who yeah. sells carpets goes yeah. into yeah. pickle well, repair. Well, I went to see some of those flute uh, companies in Boston uh, this year, in the beginning of 23. I visited some, some companies too. Um, there are some people that come from like totally other branches of in industry and then they have to learn to, to construct, for instance, a metal flute and, and just work with gold, for instance. Um, it's, it's a really, really, really difficult job. 
and you cannot work like for eight hours on these kind of things because you get all shaky and, and nervous because they're the same thing. We Who need care? experts. We need experts in doing that. Yeah. Sure. So well, we, we talked about a lot of interesting things already. Um, that was our questions, but also the audience um, asked some questions that we're now going to pass on to you. Mm -hmm. So one person asked, how does he manage all his commitments, teaching in Graz, KCA, orchestra, traveling, and still appears to be focused at work, optimistic and encouraging at the same time? How do you manage that? Well, I hope I can manage that. It's always a choice and, and see how far you can go uh, with things. You have to know um, that, that five years ago I was even combining all those things with being the director of a big music school in Belgium too. So there are some moments that you see that you cannot manage this anymore because it takes, it takes both physical and, and uh, emotional and energy, energy mm -hmm. doing, doing this kind of things. Um, now it depends of course on, on, on the team that you have around you. Um, I will just briefly discuss that my family is very supporting in what, what I do. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think my wife is the best manager I, I could imagine in this kind of things. Also I have um, a very good um, pianist working at my home too, which is my son. <laughs> I have Stefan, which is, is, has been my, my, my pianist in the master program of, of, of Antwerp and my partner in crime for the CDs I, I, I've recorded. And um, these people help me doing it and they don't give me extra problems. No, they solve a lot of problems for me. Uh, I would say that if I'm not teaching my students in Antwerp, but, but um, Stefan is, is, is working um, re uh, during rehearsals with them, they, they learn maybe even more at this kind of, of rehearsals than they will have with my lessons. And um, uh, we discussed Anka also, which is, 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 is the best possible teaching assistant you could imagine uh, to have in, 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 in the conservatory. Um, that helps. Um, for the rest, it's, it's time management and uh, trying to, to, to just to be very, very careful with, with both aspects of the energy. I think there's the phys physical energy. I learned that I really need to go running and to do a bit of a workout mm -hmm. because in other words, I don't have the, um, the physical just, uh, condition to sit on stage even uh, because yeah, when, when people are finishing their work, I sometimes still have to start doing the most important thing about it. And the piccolo solos are very often at the end of the concerts, which is, of course, something that you have to take into account. Um, there's, there's a constant concern of not getting overly tired. Um, and if that continues, then, well, you have to, to do adaptations. Mm. Um, I think the, the piccolo master in Antwerp is now, at, I, I think, the the biggest number of students that I, I can manage to do. Um, for me, the breaking point is, is, is when you cannot name your students in three minutes time. <laughs> I try to, sometimes uh, I, I repeat the 12 names of my master students to be sure that they're all doing well. Uh, the thing is there, it's not them just asking me for lessons. It's me like trying to get 
um, in touch with their with their professional careers and follow up if they are doing doing well if they're not forgetting something if they're not doing too many auditions at the same time if they still leave enough time to practice so while i'm doing my time management i a, a very important aspect of of um, the coaching part of the piccolo master is that i try to get track of their time management too um, which is i think the biggest problem in music education for the moment um, being a student at the conservatory involves many more things than if they were like present uh, when I studied where the f there was a big focus on just um, the job like getting ready for the job now um, with the academization of, of, of the education programs there's there's other things that that became and I think with the good ride also more important right you, you got the creative projects yeah. you had the master papers uh, all these things they are important but they should be done uh, with a good time management. Yeah. Right? If if you spend too much time with the one thing, probably the other thing is going to suffer. But there again, I think I think um, combining these jobs, they are compatible. Um, you see, the the orchestra job gives me the inspiration in what to tell to my students, mm -hmm. and then. Um, doing the same job in, in Graz gives me a lot of inspiration like how you can see education from other angles yeah. because I think the concept of the Graz school is very different from from, from the Antwerp school so every time I, I, I travel to, to Graz um, well it's also a way of taking some distance from my projects in Antwerp and mm -hmm. I mostly return refreshed to them after um, and then, of course, there is there is um, a master classes and the festivals. There, there's plenty of it now. I, I try to at this moment. My my goal is to to not do m more than one master class in a month yeah. because it it could get too much. But even there, when, whenever I go to some places, I come back with a lot of ideas, insights, and energy too. So. It's double, um, and sometimes I think it's even not good to have too much time to reflect on, on things. I, yeah. I think you have to find some balance in that. Yeah, that's why they're philosophers. Hmm. <laughs> Another person asked, what are the qualities a piccolo player should have? Um, nervosity. I think I think uh, the, uh, piccolo is 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 an instrument by character, maybe very very different from the double bass and the cello, uh, right? Uh, and um, I I think um, you have to have this this ability to do this kind of bungee jumping kind of thing, right? You have to have the the, the courage to jump. Um, if you're going to be too much reflective on those things there's going to be the stop signal in your head when you have to play it something in, in the piccolo so um, I'm constantly have the feeling that I'm doing something very adventurous sitting there with that small uh, small instrument and um, where people try to relax for concerts I, my biggest concern is that I would sit on stage um, 
like too relaxed and too too much zen because that would not be the right vibe to generate a Chuck for solo, for instance. <laughs> it's, it's expresses well, some kind <laughs> of, 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 of of nervosity, and and I think that is a character thing. Um, I think that's that's the only thing because all the other things, when you have the ambition and dedication, and you love the instrument and you want to hear that sound, um, of course that that's maybe the second thing you you need to have that affinity and you have to love listening to these high notes and you have to be happy being like having that circle of burns around around your head uh, all, all the time. Um, I would not call it naivety but it's it's a bit close. I, I think this not too much reflective happiness and the ability to create that in your brain is some that something that, that you need. Okay, and um, I think it's it's very good that we have characters that 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 really um, are compatible with with the kind of instruments, and that you you, you try to see them. Yeah. Um, uh, if I see Carla Rees, for instance, who is a brilliant player on the, on the bass and the alto flute, she wrote a beautiful piece for the piccolo, but I I, I didn't see her performing a lot on it, and and when we have a coffee together. Um, I think we have a lot of admiration and respect for the job we do, but it's very obvious that we have this, geez, this kind of more like relaxed and, and meditative kind of uh, pers person. And Clearly well, while I'm, I'm very <laughs> upset about things and tell, telling her we need to quickly do that, she's like, okay, but I will think about it. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it it's, it's, it's a character thing. Um, um, for the rest, yeah, you you could talk about about embouchure and fingers. Um, when we're doing the lip work in in the book, there's there, there's this quite quite a lot of explanation on how to form the embouchure. You you might think yeah, like some people might have better lips to play the piccolo well, but if if I would design the most difficult lips to play the piccolo. I would be talking about mine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when you are really like ambitious and playing it well, you will overcome those those technical problems. Another person asked, "What is your favorite piccolo concerto?" Um, well, um, my favorite piccolo concerto is not Vivaldi because <gasps> it's not a piccolo concerto. <laughs> uh, I love playing it, but. And I, I, I did a lot of attempts playing it very well, and I played, I recorded on CD twice and on video the third time, and I'm very happy uh, with the performance and the fun I had making it. Um, it's also not Lieberman. Lieberman is maybe the most seriously taken concerto for the piccolo, and it is a good work, though I'm not particularly fond of the third movement of it. Um, then there's there's a lot of, of 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 concertos that have some beautiful moments, but I think to to be interesting from the very beginning to the very very end, it's difficult to find good good music for for instrument. Maybe I, it hasn't I, been written I, yet. I, I, gave, <laughs> I, I was very lucky to have some concertos written for me, and um, I think in in the CD with the four concertos I I um, I released uh, last year. 
these are really good concertos and it's maybe maybe not, not even respectful to those four composers to make it make it choice uh, uh, there um, but the, the the concerto I got as a present from the, the person that take, took over the school I was talking about um, a couple of minutes ago Eric de Simplar is an intriguing and good work it's very ambitious it has the full orchestra um, orchestration which is probably the, the reason it's not going to be performed um, so often. Um, I remember recording this concerto in COVID times when we had to leave like a couple of meters of space between the musicians. And I no never saw such an impressive lineup on, on a very big stage to, to, to have this full orchestra. And then that being combined with the piccolo in a beautiful very virtuosic beautiful uh, concerto yeah it was one of the highlights i think in my my career um probably i'm going to be able to to play the john josie concerto a couple of times next year it's looking good uh, very happy with that concerto too that would be, be my top two at, at the moment but i should mention uh, robert grollo who wrote a concerto for me already more than 10 years ago i guess and that's also like a super super interesting company uh, composition so it's a top three so we have to listen to your cds <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be good you have to have some courage to to start to do the <laughs> listening. Um, but but i think there's there's uh, quite a lot of good moments in those concertos Thank you so much for sharing. So we're slowly coming to an end, but before the end, we always ask our guests fire questions. So we will ask you three fire questions. Mm -hmm. The first fire question is, where would you go for a vacation? Oh, but definitely Switzerland. I am a <laughs> big, big fan of the mountains and Very clear hiking is, is a thing for me, yes. Uh, dead or alive, which composer would you like to have a glass of wine with? Ooh, fire question. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I will be very, very, very slow. I, I'm, I'm so happy with, with uh, Camille Saint-Saëns. Yeah, I, I really find that whatever I hear from him, I want to play it too, even if he didn't write it for my instrument. <laughs> yes. For sure, he would decide to write one for you if you had a class of yeah. yes. <laughs> he, he found the best way of, of writing the birds, like the foliar. It's, it's just the best way to describing a bird. So, yeah, it's, it's my favorite. A lot of melody and a lot of fun and, and a light style of, of composing. Yeah, I think he should inspire our contemporary composers <laughs> to, to write music that has that kind of vibe. Nice. And the last very question is... What soundtrack would you choose for your life? <laughs> if I go for emotion and if I want to cry with music, I always um, listen to Ramo, Ramo music. Yeah, the, the, the sweets uh, he, he has be, uh, he, uh, written are so, so full of emotion, and, but already written so long, so long ago that it, it really, for me, it brings music to another kind of emotional level. 
Thank you so much for answering all of our questions and for giving us insights in in well all it's your a projects. Pleasure. I'm 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 very happy with the project that you're putting there. It's I think uh, our community, flute and piccolo community, needs this kind of project. So I'm very happy to cooperate. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>